Good morning, Saltbox. What a uh, special day to worship with Jocelyn. So good. Um, Laura said it, but uh, we are gathering in person, 9300 Industrial Boulevard in Leland. We're going to be there every week at 9 a.m. Setup happens at 7.30, prayers at 8, gatherings at 9. Uh, we are also going to continue this online service gathering indefinitely. Um, and then as soon as the governor releases us into phase three, we're going to regather here in town at the Stone Point Movie Theater. So that is already set. Contract is signed. But we will continue these online services every week at 10 a.m. Um, if I didn't say it, my name is Michael Mattis. I pastor a church here in Wilmington, North Carolina called Saltbox Church. But I do want to look into the camera and extend a warm welcome to everyone, no matter where you're coming from or how you're digesting this content. We want to say a big, warm welcome. Uh, we're in the middle of a collection of talks called Beautiful Attitudes. And uh, that's off actually a Billy Graham comment. Um, he he uh, referred to the Beatitudes, which is how Jesus uh, introduced the entire Sermon on the Mount, um, with these character qualities or beatitudes that Billy Graham called the beautiful attitudes. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as I walked up here, um, we love a number of different types of coffee, but we love counterculture coffee at our house. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the beatitudes um, are actually an entire sermon and way of thinking, way of living, way of understanding the God of the Bible that is totally counterculture. It is absolutely different, and so even our little insignia for this series is a tree that is standing out. It is different. That's what it means to actually know Jesus. It, it means that we're actually called as Christians not to try to take our culture and make it Christian, but rather acknowledge that our culture is not Christian, and therefore our job is to go out into the midst of it and be a part of changing it with the power of the gospel. That's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the original counterculture message from our Lord Jesus. So I am in uh, Matthew 5, and uh, this is shocking for me, but I'm just going to read um, one verse. Matthew 5, uh, verse 4. <clears throat> I'm reading out of the NIV, and here's what it says. This is Jesus talking, so just a refresher if you weren't here with us the last couple of weeks. Jesus is talking. He's at a place um, on the Sea of Galilee, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. He's in a natural stone amphitheater uh, that probably seated five to 15,000 people, depending on how tight you sat them. The acoustics um, of the wind coming off the lake meant that a man could actually sit down, and in a normal voice, he could speak, and the acoustics would carry up, and everyone in the crowd could hear. Um, it's a profound place. It's called Aramis Heights. I hope one day you can stand there because it's a humbling place to stand. But here's what he says um, in uh, Matthew chapter 5 in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So the question immediately becomes, what is Jesus saying here by mourn? What, what is he meaning? He would have spoken in Aramaic. The, the Bible was written in Greek. So what is he saying by mourn? What does this mean? And, and then secondarily, what does it mean to be comforted? And I think the key um, for how we sort of assimilate this into our life um, is how we understand this passage. And so uh, for me, one of the things I do as a, as a person, and I would call you to as a believer, is is to get in your Bible every day, read it, digest it, eat it. This is the word of God. It's the, the bread of God, the bread of life. And uh, so as we do that, we're going to study this and see if we can't make some applications into our own life. Now, I'm also going to flip over and I'm going to read James 4, verses 8 through 10. James 4, 8 through 10. And here's what it says. <clears throat> Come near to God 
and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Holy Spirit, would you enliven us this morning? Would you help us understand, Lord Jesus, what you meant when you sat at that place in Israel and said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. In your name we pray, amen. So, you know, I remember being about 15 or 16 and I was, I was really at a point where I, I was walking with the Lord at whatever level I knew how. I'd given my life to him and I was doing some ministry thing. I was starting to speak for different places and I began to actually look at my life as a 16 year old and I actually began to go, you know, um, I don't do what they do. And I don't say and talk like they talk, and I'm not, you know, uh, getting with so and so like they are, and I'm not drinking this, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not. And I started looking around, and what began to happen inside of me as I began to look at what everyone else is doing is I started uh, thinking that I was pretty good. And I began to actually um, look around and, and actually began to think that um, I sort of had it together. And it, it's interesting because now I'm however many years later, I'm 39, um, so however many years later, and I'm, I've been walking with the Lord this entire time, and it seems that the closer I get to him, so the more intimate I become with the Lord Jesus, uh, the more sensitive my heart is to his voice, um, the more tender I am to the daily leading of the Holy Spirit, the more surrendered I am, the more aware I am of his scripture, um, the more aware I am of my own brokenness and absolute depravity. And so what I'm sort of pointing out here is the, the, the danger uh, that we as humans find ourselves in is uh, we often, especially in our culture and in our society, we live in a comparison-based, a comparison type of culture. So we're always looking around sort of making the benchmark or setting the bar um, about how we're doing by how they're doing or how our neighbor's doing or somebody at work or one of our friends. And it, it's really dangerous because we as Christians can actually begin to look around that other Christians, um, maybe even relatively nominal Christians, and begin to go, well, I'm actually doing pretty well. I, I don't do that, and I, I do participate in this, and oh, I give some money, and, I, I, and we start listing off maybe what we do, and all of a sudden, if you're not careful, what be can begin to sort of happen is this heart disease of pride, this heart disease of sort of grandiosity, this heart disease that you've got it together. And, you know, I was reflecting as I was sort of praying, what does this verse mean? What does it mean to mourn? What does it mean to be comforted? On Isaiah 64, 6, which says, my righteousness is as a filthy rag. So here's my first point. It's an unusual one, very different than something I would usually throw out there. But here it is. Uh, number one, your ladder might be against the wrong wall. So in other words, I think we as Christians have to begin to go, okay, um, who sets the bar? In other words, where is the benchmark? In other words, do I compare myself to people around me um, or do I begin to get my eyes off of the people around me and get my eyes onto a holy God? You know, <clears throat> I remember when I was um, 10, uh, I have a younger sister named Anna 
And when I was 10, um, she's, I guess, three years younger, so she was like seven. Um, and we went into my mom's bathroom, and we got some lipstick, and we were coloring with this lipstick on the mirror and on, the, on, on my mom's new towels. And um, we hid it, and I can't remember all the details, but essentially mom came, and she found the lipstick on the towel, and she came to us and said, um, did you do this? And it was one of the first um, real cognitive and clear memories I have because I, I knew um, that what I was doing was wrong. I knew she would not want me to take this lipstick and color on the counter and color on the mirror and, and put it on the towel. And Ann and I were just laughing and having this big time. And, and then she came to me and said, did you do it? And I made a decision. I remember inside of me thinking that I am going to lie. And I lied to my mom right there. No, I didn't do it. Nope. Maybe it was Anna. And I, I will never forget because I watched something in my mom's eyes that kind of flashed. And it wasn't anger. Um, it, it, it wasn't even frustration. It, it was probably more grief or um, disappointment or sadness. And I remember sort of walking away. And my mom so wisely handled it. She didn't yell. She didn't raise her voice. She didn't like, oh, you, you know, no, 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 none of that. She just gave it time. And what happened is over the next few hours, um, it was like the Holy Spirit inside of me. I'd given my heart to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and my own conscience began to sort of um, rise up against me. And it wasn't but five or six hours later, I went back to my mom and I said, Mom, um, I, I gotta tell you something. I, I, I lied about that lipstick. It was me and I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? And it's one of the first times that I actually remember um, sort of the, in her eyes the, the, the revelation that we as people can do things that dishonor both God and dishonor people. It was the first time that I fully probably understood the malicious, willful effects of my own sin, which is just a Bible word that, that means anything that goes against um, God's will. It's when you exert your own will. That is sin. So fast forward now a few years. I was a, I was a young man, and I was lost, and I was stuck in some darkness. And I actually had, um, th this is unusual, I don't usually say this publicly, but I will. I had an open vision, and um, the Lord revealed to me again um, his heart and, and the same eyes. It wasn't my mom this time. It, it was now God. And it was these um, hurt, uh, grief, sorrow, over where I was walking, over the decisions I was making. And it was that that sort of brought me to my knees and brought me back to my senses where I went, Lord Jesus, I've gotten uh, lost. My own heart has gotten hardened. So I say that to sort of say, as we sort of look at, what does it mean to mourn? And what does it mean, blessed are those who mourn? And then they will be comforted. This almost feels like it's in code. It's like, well, what does this actually mean? So mourning here um, deals with the sorrow of, of repentance. And repentance is just a Bible word that means you're gonna change your perspective. So um, if you've been justifying something that you've been doing, well, it's fine that I do this because they do it and they do it and they do it. Everybody I know does it. It, it, it. Repentance is going, Lord Jesus, I've been doing this and I've been justifying it because everybody else does it, but I actually realize that I am out of line with your word, with what you've called us to do, how you've called us to live, and I wanna change my mind mind and stop agreeing with these people and start agreeing with you. So you, you could even think about repentance being kind of like a, a 180. You're going one direction, you're going to go, oop, 
I'm going to go the other direction. So you're, you're simply, um, but, but more than them repenting, it's, it's mourning. So it's actually deep sorrow um, over what you've done. So this, this mourning, I think, if we begin to look at it, is actually what opens the door to the supernatural power to overcome sin and temptation and everything that ensnares us in this life. So uh, think of it like this. Uh, those who mourn have seen the depths of the world's sin. Uh, those who mourn have seen the depths of their own sin. You know, like me as that 10-year-old that came to the revelation, man, I am wrong. Even me as the young man that came to the revelation again, I am wrong. But people who have come to the revelation of their own sin, and it's broken their hearts, and that, that brokenness in heart at some level opens the door to their heart and opens the door to their lives so that they can be filled, um, encouraged, and comforted by the Lord Jesus to overcome. It's, it's, it is sort of um, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. So there's an openness um, that happens in the human heart. So let me flip this a second because this might help you. Um, you might be sitting out there and you go, well, Michael, how would I know if I've mourned over my sin? I mean, you know, there, there, we could even get into a difference between sort of confession of sin versus contrition over sin. Those are different things. We'll deal with that in a second. But uh, how would you know if you've mourned over your sin? So let me give you a couple thoughts. Um, there's a direct relationship between the amount of grace a person is able to extend to other people. Um, and the amount of grace that a person has received from God. Uh, so in other words, if you, if you see a person who is unable to easily forgive and easily extend grace to those around them, you are also seeing a person who has, has most likely not been able to drink deeply of the grace of Jesus. So, okay, let's, let's look at this a, a, a different way. A person who is unable to extend grace fully towards others, forgiving others and loving people, maybe even when they're ugly to them, is probably a person who has not fully recognized and mourned over their sin. I think there's also a direct relationship between um, the comfort or the encouragement, we'll also get into this just a bit later, that you're able to give other people um, and the comfort you've then received from God yourself. So in other words, if you haven't received comfort, whether it's if you're a young person from a parent or, or a grandparent or siblings or whatever, or as an older person from God, then usually you get into a situation where someone is suffering or facing difficulty and you're unable, like you're almost uh, illiterate, so to speak, in able, being able to give um, comfort to other people. So there's a direct relationship between how much comfort you've received from God and how much comfort then you're able to give to those around you. So a, a signal that you have not been able to really mourn over the sin in your own life is, are you able to comfort people? A, a, a signal of have you mourned over your own sin in comparison to a holy God, because he sets the benchmark, right, not people, is are you able to extend grace to people? Are you easily able to forgive people? Or, or are you a person who holds on to things? Or maybe you get judgmental or bitter or ugly. And, and that would be an indicator that you might not have fully grasped and digested your own sin in the presence and before a holy God. And instead, you may be um, more having your ladder on the wrong wall. You, you may be evaluating your own life based on what everyone else is doing or not doing. <clears throat> so, number one, your ladder might be on the wrong wall. In other words, who's setting the bar for your life? Is it people? Is it the ones around you, your neighbors, your boss, someone who you look up to? Or is it actually God? Is it the word of God? Because 
We live in a relative age right now. It's, this, it's a scary thing across our country and around the world. It's a relative age where we kind of say, well, if it seems good and if it feels good and, you know, do it. And that's a dangerous place to walk because all of a sudden you can realize you've leaned your ladder on the wrong wall and you've got to actually change it and get it on God's wall so that God becomes the benchmark in your life. And you might go, Michael, practically, how do I do that? Get in the Bible. Get one of your Bible, get a journal, begin to pray, begin to know him, begin to walk with him, begin to hunger after him. So number one, your ladder might be on the wrong wall. Number two, you might be barking up the wrong tree. So here's what I mean by that. Uh, we as people, I think all created in the image of God, um, have the, the fingerprint of God on us. We're, we are his creation. He created us. He knitted us together in our, in our mother's womb is what Psalms 139 says. And because of that, um, we have sort of uh, this innate sense that we need to be right. We need to um, be sort of approved of. And so most of us um, spend inordinate amounts of time trying to um, look good um, and appear good and uh, be right at what we're going to say and be right at what we do and be right at what we post on social media, be right when we have interactions with other people. And, you know, what's, what's fascinating to me uh, is if you ask a non-believer, um, this is actually worth doing, uh, ask a non-believer, um, so someone who's not given their life to Jesus, what does it mean to be a Christian? And they're almost always going to say something that has to do with cleaning up external behaviors. Almost always. Which indicates they actually don't understand the, the, the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus changes us in here, saves us in here, fills us in here, and then there's a natural outflowing from what he's done inside out. So, here, here's what I mean. You might be barking up the wrong tree. Are you attempting to be right um, to establish your rightness before God. And you have a legitimate need, and I have a legitimate need to be made right before God. But are you attempting to establish your rightness by cleaning up the exterior, uh, by not doing something, or by doing something, by avoiding hanging out with certain people, or by hanging out with other people? In other words, we spend so much time um, trying to be right, and, and what I mean by barking up the wrong tree is the way to get right with God is actually to come to the cross of Christ and acknowledge that you're wrong. Acknowledge that you're bankrupt. Acknowledge that you're broken. Acknowledge that you've fallen short. And here's the thing. It's not just a one-time thing. This becomes a daily transaction. This becomes a relationship between you and the Holy Spirit, you and the Lord Jesus, where you're walking and living and you go, ah, oh, I sense your conviction again. I'm wrong there. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you help me? Would you heal me? Would you fill me? That's almost like a breath prayer in my life. If you open my five-year journal and, and look through day after day after day, you would see again and again and again, Lord Jesus, there's this area you're touching. Would you forgive me? Would you heal me? Would you forgive me? Would you fill me? Would you show me? Because I'm, it's, a, it's an ongoing interaction and relationship with a holy God. That's how you walk with Jesus, that's how you walk um, filled with the Holy Spirit in, in the world in which we live. So, you know, it's, it's also sort of interesting. I was looking back at 
uh, the Great Reformation, and, and this, is, this is a way oversimplification of Martin Luther and the Great Reformation, but it was the 1500s, and um, Martin Luther had a problem with um, indulgences being sold by the Catholic Church. And what that means, just in a real nutshell, is um, probably some priest somewhere had this good idea, and the good idea went like this. Hey, I think we can help people mourn over their sin, uh, right? Blessed are those who mourn. I think we can help people mourn over their sin if we make them pay when they actually do something wrong. And it probably sounded great, you know, sitting in chairs talking about it, but in practice what happened is all of a sudden you had someone who was willfully going, so I can sin, I can actually do anything I want, and then I can just pay a little bit of money to the church, and then the church is going to say I'm right with God. And so Martin Luther actually stood up and went, no, 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 no. It is justification through grace alone, through the blood of Jesus. You can't pay money. You can't pay for an indulgence and get let off the hook. That's not the way it works. You've now set the wrong benchmark. You've been looking around and setting the benchmark here instead of looking at a holy God and setting the benchmark where it belongs. So there's this great reformation that, that Martin Luther uh, led. And what's interesting to me is... People are still trying to do this today. In other words, they're still barking up the wrong tree. They're still trying to justify themselves by not doing certain things in the exterior and doing other things in the exterior instead of coming to Jesus and going, I am a wreck. I am bankrupt. I am, I, I, it is over. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. And, and beginning to repent and then even mourn, so grieving um, over what you've done. <clears throat> Proverbs 51.7 says, a broken and contrite heart, God will never despise. He will never reject. That's a wonderful psalm, by the way, when David had really sinned seriously before God by killing uh, a man and then sleeping with Bathsheba. It's a fascinating story, but what a beautiful psalm because it illustrates um, the repentance of a person and then mourning over sin. So uh, the moment uh, we take personal responsibility, and let me, let me just point something small out here. I, I think one of the temptations in our society, and it's not just America, it's, it's human nature in, after the fall from the garden, but we, we often wanna blame. Something happens, the Holy Spirit convicts us, or a, or a friend, or a spouse, or a, someone who knows us, or a neighbor, or maybe even someone who you don't like, points out something in your life, and instead of actually uh, receiving it, um, pondering it, maybe even taking it to the Lord and going, Lord, is there any truth in that? We usually, as humans, um, receive that, and we immediately begin to go, oh, they, made, they made me do it. Uh, this person said that and it made me do this and they put this on social media and she said that and he did this and, and immediately we begin to point the finger. We begin to, to blame and yet what I mean by barking up the wrong tree is the right tree is coming to the Lord Jesus and going, Lord Jesus, I've failed again. I've sinned again, both the first time and every time. Would you forgive me? Would you fill me? Would you change me? And, and you gotta get on to the right tree. It's, it's the tree um, of repentance. It's the tree of being filled with the Spirit of God. So my first point this morning is your ladder might be on the wrong wall. My second point is you, you may be barking up the wrong tree. You may be trying to be justified before God because you have a God-given need to be right, but you can't be right because we're all bankrupt in of ourselves except 
by the blood of Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, we give him our sin and, and he gives us his righteousness. It's this like exchange that is absolutely beautiful. My third point is that um, mourning, um, so, so grieving over your sin, being penitent, um, like James said, I think that's probably worth reading here just again. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Let me also reverse that for just a second. Um, if God's not near you, why isn't he? Come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. If you want God, come near to him. You have as much of God and I have as much of God as we want in our lives on this day. He's paid it all. He's opened the door of relationship. The question is, are you coming near to him? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter into mourning, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So my third point is that mourning, that grieving actually um, opens the human heart to the infilling courage of Jesus to overcome. Uh, it's kind of a mouthful, I guess, but I want you to um, think of it like this. Um, well, let me say this. John Wycliffe um, in the 1300s um, translated the Bible that we know uh, from the Latin Vulgate, uh, which is also what uh, Martin Luther was working on, who we just talked about. But he translated from the Latin Vulgate um, into uh, King James English. And when he came to that word comforted, um, I think there's been a misnomer. If you've hung around me very long, you've probably heard me say this before, but there's a misnomer when we call the Holy Spirit the comforter and we think he's going to come and snuggle up with us and we're going to drink hot chocolate, which, okay, maybe there's an aspect of that. But, but comforter, when, when John Wycliffe translated this from the Latin Vulgate, literally meant um, fortified. It was fortis was the word. So in other words, you're comfortable if you're in a fortified city. You're comfortable if you're surrounded by warriors because you're fortified, you're protected, you're safe. So when, when John Wycliffe translated the comforter, the Holy Spirit, he's literally saying the one who makes you brave, the, the one who makes you courageous, the one who gives you the power to stand up against darkness, to stand up against sin, to overcome. It's, it's the one who fills you and changes you. So, so here when Jesus is literally saying, blessed are those who uh, mourn, he's saying blessed are those who grieve over their sin, who grasp the level of their own poverty before God, not financial poverty, um, spiritual poverty before God. Blessed are the ones who set the benchmark on the heavenly realm, not on their peers, and they will be comforted. They will be made brave. They will be given the courage to overcome sin. They will be filled with the very presence of Jesus in such a way that they can overcome, that they can rise up. If you're struggling with something in your life and you're like, Lord Jesus, would you help me overcome? I would dig a little bit deeper and go, have you recognized the depth to which you've fallen and taken personal responsibility, come before the cross and said, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? And then as he's forgiving you, this supernatural transaction happens where you are then made uh, fortis, you are then comforted, you are then filled with the very power of the Lord Jesus to rise up and overcome what you face. This is the infilling power of the gospel of Christ Jesus. There is nothing that you and I are facing today that we cannot face full of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that he has allowed in our life that will bring us to the point of breaking if we are willing to cling to him and allow him to make us courageous, fill us, fortify us, comfort us. 
You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Uh, the old has gone. I, I love this verse. Sometimes I have to remind myself. Um, I actually use this verse in daily life, even with something silly, like I've gotten impatient with the kids. I, I just have a little breath prayer. I, I sense my impatience or my own ugliness sort of rising up. And I go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? And then I remind myself that that old guy is gone. And the new guy in Jesus is here. So, so mourning, when you understand the depths of your sin before a holy God, actually opens the door to our heart to the infilling courage of Jesus so that we can overcome, so that we can receive comfort. You know, I think of Peter on the Sea of Galilee and you may or may not have read the story. It's worth looking at. It's in a couple of the Gospels. But Peter on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is actually uh, watching them, probably from the very same place where he preached this Sermon on the Mount. And they're out in a big storm, and they're trying to paddle across the lake. And Jesus goes down to the edge of the lake, and then he walks out by them. And Peter actually uh, sees that it's Jesus. I love Peter. I love Peter because Peter does and is so is courageous enough to try to do what everybody else is scared to do. And, and so Peter literally says, Lord, if it's you, um, call to me and tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter uh, gets out of, of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. He's literally walking on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of this windstorm. And all of a sudden, um, he, he gets um, afraid. He's overcome with fear. He's full of anxiety. He's, he's um, all of a sudden takes his eyes off of Jesus. He takes his eyes off the benchmark of a holy God and he puts them on his, potentially his circumstances. And all of a sudden now he's sinking beneath the waves. And how many of us could even identify with that? This sinking feeling that something's going on in my life, in my family, with our health, uh, with a marriage, uh, with finances, with you fill in the blank. But all of a sudden my eyes are now off of Jesus. My eyes are now on my circumstances and suddenly I find myself uh, sinking and I need to be comforted. I need to be made brave. And literally what this James verse says, and I think when James penned this, um, he was actually uh, thinking of Peter, sinking beneath the waves. But he says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And so you see King Jesus literally reaching down when Peter begins to sink and Peter calls him Lord. And you see King Jesus reaching down and lifting Peter up out of the waves. And I think if there's anything that I would say to us as a church, to us as a nation, to Christians everywhere, is we as a people must get our ladders on the right wall. In other words, our benchmark must be God, a holy God, the God of the Bible. We as believers must uh, be about barking up the right trees. In other words, not seeking to be justified by changing what's going on out here, but no, 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 truly coming to him and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us, coming to him, taking responsibility, not blaming, Lord, would you forgive me for, and allowing that supernatural transaction to happen. And, and then as we recognize our sin, actually mourning over it. Because the mourning over our sin, apparently in the words of Jesus, open the doors of our heart so the infilling of the Lord Jesus can surge through us so that we can overcome. 
God has made us to be conquerors. God has made us to be overcomers. God has made us to be victorious. And crazily, in this upside-down kingdom of God, the way you get victorious is to acknowledge that you're bankrupt. The way you overcome is to acknowledge that you can't do it by yourself, to come to him and go, Lord Jesus, I am broken, I am destitute. Would you forgive me? Would you fill me? And even mourn over your sins so that he can comfort you, so that he can make you brave, so that he can fill you and change you and use you. You know, when God makes us new, it's, it's funny because it's both um, instantaneous and then we walk it out for years. But as he changes us, the way we see the world changes, the way we see people changes, the way we see circumstances change, the way we interact with people changes. Literally, as you are taking on the character of Christ, as you are mourning even over your sin, as you are recognizing how destitute you are before a holy God, he is in the process of chiseling us and shaping us and forming us. And I would invite you as Christians, or if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I would invite you. But for Christians, it literally becomes a, an opportunity. The difficulty that we are in is an opportunity for the Lord to chisel us and to shape us and to mold us and to make us and to fashion us and then ultimately to give us a purpose to use us to transform a world with the power and the love of Jesus. If you're tuned in today on any platform and you go, Michael, I don't know this Jesus that would reach down and lift me from a dark place. I don't know this Jesus that has maybe grief or sadness in his eyes over my sin. I've never even looked at what I've done or not done next to the benchmark of a holy God. And I would say to you, it is a simple but supernatural transaction where you come to him and you pray a prayer of surrender. And that's a, it's a funny word, but it's a word I like because in, in surrender, um, you, you, you sort of raise your hands, you, you, you give up and um, you, you give all to him. So pray that with me. If you're here, if you're gathered with us at any level, at any place, and you've never given your life to Jesus, pray something like this with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have fallen short of your benchmark, and therefore I'm a sinner. Lord, I recognize that you alone are good and you alone are God. Jesus, I recognize that you came to earth, you walked as a man, you were crucified, dead, buried. You defeated hell. You broke the bounds of sin. You raised from the dead. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would come and you would live inside of me, that you would change me, that you would fill me, that you would make me courageous. Father, would you walk with me? Would you teach me to walk with you and be a person who um, inclines my ear to your voice, who listens to you with the ears of my heart? In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. If you're a believer with me today, I would just call you in these closing moments to evaluate, to let the Holy Spirit sift your own heart, to let the Holy Spirit sift your own life. Uh, is your ladder on the wrong wall? Are you evaluating yourself based on his standard or yours? Are you uh, barking up the wrong tree? In other words, are you seeking to be justified by your own self-effort or have you reached the point where you're allowing the life of King Jesus to be the thing that covers you and justifies you? And lastly, have you engaged in mourning over the depth of your own sin? 
Because in that morning, King Jesus comes so powerfully and he can fill you so fully and he can lift you out of anything and give you hope and purpose and joy and make you victorious and make you an overcomer. As we go from here today, may you sense the very presence of King Jesus in your life. May this Christianity not just be a set of rules or guidelines that you follow, but may this be a person with whom you're intimate. May you walk with him. And may you go, not only knowing him, but from that relationship, commissioned to change your neighborhood, your work, your street, your friends, with the life, with the love, and with the hope of Christ Jesus. We love you.